Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. As always, thanks for letting us be a part of your day. Coming up on our program today, we're going to talk with Mike Steenhook, the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. After the State of the Union uh, message the other night, we're talking infrastructure again. Will they do more than just talk about it this time? We'll discuss that with Mike Steenhook. Uh, Of course, the ongoing um, debate on uh, a border wall or some type of barrier has a great impact on uh, whether or not there's going to be another government shutdown coming up soon. We're going to talk with someone who deals with this issue every day. Stephanie Smallhouse is president of the Arizona Farm Bureau and a rancher in Arizona and deals with border issues on a daily basis. We'll get her thoughts on the issue. And we're going to talk trade, this time with the U.S. Apple Association. Their president, Jim Baer, will join us to talk about how the trade tensions and tariffs impact their business in the Apple industry. All that coming up on today's show. But we're going to start things off, talk about the news with Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Hi, Phil. How are you? Uh, great to be here. Yeah. I know you got a lot going on that will start in the House Ag Committee. They're they're organizing and getting ready to go, getting ready for business, right? Yes, they're having their first uh, really formal meeting. It's just an organizational session, so there won't be any uh, real real business. Uh, it's not a hearing, uh, not voting on legislation. So, but it's the first time they got together. They finally announced the makeup of the uh, six subcommittees uh, yesterday. So it's taken them a while to get uh, just. Uh, everything uh, everyone on the right uh, subcommittee and the, and the numbers on each uh, subcommittee so let's look at the what the congress as a whole dealing with are you hearing anything are they anywhere close to any movement on a deal that would fund the government and avoid another shutdown well you know there's it certainly feels like it's moving in that direction. Uh, McConnell has uh, there is no interest in another shutdown. Uh, let me uh, say that, uh, especially on the Republican side uh, on the Senate. Um, five weeks was just uh, I think a lot of lawmakers had just had it. Um, McConnell has made it clear that uh, he thinks these. Uh, you know, it's a losing proposition. The, the side that forces the shutdown always loses. Um, that's the message that he's gotten and he's communicated. Um, and there's certainly discussions going on. I don't think uh, the president's going to get $5.7 billion for a border wall. Um, but there's certainly discussions on the moderates in the House uh, talking about, um, you know, funding some kind of barrier, uh, a barrier funding, uh, not quite what the president wants, but uh, there's certainly an effort to come up with something that um, that the conference committee can agree on in Congress and that uh, they hope the president will sign off on. Yeah, that'll be the question. What will he accept if it's not the, the yeah. total amount he is asking for? Meanwhile, there's also, I think this is a f- interesting uh, battle going on in Congress, too. Competing bills, uh, competing approaches to uh, the president's power when it comes to putting tariffs uh, on uh, other countries and their goods coming into the U.S. Uh, they're, they're dueling bills. You have one bill that would expand his authority, which is what the president would like, and there's a, another uh, a movement to restrict uh, his uh, 
his or any future president's powers when it comes to tariffs. Uh, bring us up to date <laughs> yeah. on that. Yeah, I think there's, uh, you know, it's a, I think the, they're kind of a push and pull here. I don't think at the end of the day any of, it, any of these, either of these are going to pass. I think uh, the ones to restrict his power, and you see some farm state Midwest lawmakers and uh, behind those. I, I think there's some, I think there's some frustration. Uh, certainly, building in the ag sector, uh, they really would like to see these tariffs on Canada and Mexico uh, lifted, and that's almost going to have to happen before you can get this uh, NAFTA 2.0, this new U.S. Mexico Canada agreement uh, through. Congress, certainly through the House. Uh, so uh, it's, um, you know, it's a lot of positioning at this point, um, and we'll see uh, the president. But there is a, there is certainly a lot of frustration in the ag community uh, where these uh, tariffs uh, remain in place, although you will also get uh, some lawmakers, uh, some Republicans uh, saying, grudgingly saying, yeah, you know, it worked in this instance. <laughs> So. Yeah, it will be interesting. Are you, when it comes to the looming battle over USMCA, uh, do you see sides digging in, positions being taken that uh, will be hard to move them on when it comes time to get hopefully close to a vote here at some point? Well, yeah, to come back to those uh, steel and aluminum tariffs on Mexico and Canada, that uh, that's one bottom line. That uh, I mean, it's one thing that has to be addressed. There just doesn't seem to be any question about that. Uh, before you move this through the House. The Democrats also want to see, uh, have some expectations on enforcement uh, uh, of uh, uh, labor standards in uh, Mexico being implemented. Um, so it's going to, whatever happens, it's going to be close. Uh, and then the outcome is certainly not um, preordained uh, at this point but um, I think the one thing you can clearly state is these tariffs have to be uh, have to be dealt with almost, uh, because that's that's been a bottom line for Democrats and who controlled the house and how much does this play into it a feeling by especially House Democrats that they just do not want to give any kind of a, a victory or a win or anything that appears to be a win to President Trump well this uh, you know that that's a concern. Uh, certainly a concern that's been voiced that Democrats just won't want to give him a victory on anything. Um, there are some Democrats, certainly, who are going to want uh, to get this uh, dealt with, uh, certainly from the Midwest. They certainly have been a, want to um, preserve uh, you know, critical uh, seats uh, and uh, the few that they have in, in rural areas. So I, I, I think you have uh, people like Ron Kind and out of Wisconsin, rural Democrat in Wisconsin, who's a senior member of the House Ways and Means Committee. Uh, he certainly wants to see this uh, this pass. Um, so I, I think you're going to have, uh, it, but it's going to be close. I mean, I, either either way, but it's it's going to be a very close vote. You probably just get just as many votes, maybe one, a majority plus po- one. It'll be political drama and theater, that's for sure. Real quick, uh, Andrew Wheeler, do you see anything that will stop his uh, confirmation as EPA administrator? Well, certainly Democrats would like to to extract some more concessions uh, from him. We haven't seen anything. What's important is 
is the Republicans because they can uh, Republicans can get him through since they don't have the 60 vote filibuster on on, on on these types of nominations anymore. Uh, and they have a little more of a cushion after the election. They have 53 seats, uh, so they can lose a couple. Um, I think, you know, for, from the Republican viewpoint, uh, Wheeler has been a significant um, upgrade from Pruitt. They were very frustrated with him, and as you know um, from talking to Midwest Republicans, uh, they were very frustrated with how he uh, implemented the uh, renewable fuel standard. Wheeler has done much uh, better on that from their view. Right. We'll see how that goes as well. Lots going on, Phil. Thanks for the update. Okay. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. All right, coming up next, infrastructure. We're going to see something get done this time around. We'll talk with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, next. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Head to toe, everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams reminding you the Renewable Fuels Association's 24th Annual National Ethanol Conference is February 11th through the 13th in Orlando, Florida. Among those speaking will be former Senator Tom Daschle, American Chopper star Paul Jr., General Motors official Dan Nicholson, and the co-hosts of the Showtime political documentary series, The Circus. For more information or to register, go to www.nationalethanolconference.com. I'll be broadcasting from the conference and hope to see you there. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, 
the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, once again in the State of the Union speech, the president talked about getting infrastructure improvements done. We hear members of the Democratic Party say so, that they want to do it as well. So we have bipartisan uh, support, supposedly, but yet we wait to see a real major push or major move in this area. Will this time be different? Let's talk about it with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for joining us. Uh, were you encouraged by anything you heard in the State of the Union speech? Well, I would say, first of all, the reality is the State of the Union address is prime real estate for the president and his administration. There's so many things that vie for space within that speech. Um, and not everything can obviously work its way into it, uh, even if it's a long speech. Um, and so we were happy of all the things that um, could be included in those remarks. Infrastructure was was mentioned. Uh, we would have liked to it have been longer and, and expanding on it a bit uh, and being a little bit more specific. But that being said, we still are pleased that it still appears to be on the radar screen of the president, one of his priorities, we also feel that it's a priority among uh, the Democrat member, members of Congress and Congress in general. You know, the big question is, will they actually have the will to get it done? Um, and one of the big concerns that I have is all of these issues that are being debated in Washington, D.C. right now and this impasse that we seem to be at, it's not r- really due to a difference of of policy, it's really a difference of personality. It's a conflict of personality versus a conflict of, of, of policy. And when you get to when it becomes a conflict of personality, then it becomes all the more difficult to actually sit across the table and get something done. So I think it's very incumbent upon agriculture and other stakeholders to really make sure that we insist that our representatives actually attend to the to-do list of the American people, infrastructure being one of them. All right, so your coalition, your Soy Transportation Coalition, has put out a top ten most wanted list of transportation priorities. Uh, run through those for us. Well, you know, there's, we really try to be attentive to all of the various modes of transportation. It would, it would be inappropriate to focus just on, say, rail or just on barge transportation. The journey from a farm, for soybeans from the farm to the ultimate customer, it, it, it really depends upon rural roads and bridges, highways and interstates, freight rail, inland waterways, and our ports. So we talk about things like uh, expanding semi-weight limits with a, to 91,000 pounds on the interstate system, provided that you have a sixth axle. Uh, to really displace the weight and increase more braking capacity so that you're not compromising safety, you're actually enhancing safety while also increasing efficiency. You know, we talk about rural bridges and making sure that if any kind of funding from the federal government is allocated, that you're not just, it's not just being concentrated in urban areas, but it's also being uh, 
dispersed in rural areas as well. Certainly we talk about maintaining and improving our locks and dams. That's always really critical for us. And then it also we, we focus on our ports, like the, the lower Mississippi River, which is our number one export region. We would like to see that go from 45 feet in depth to 50 feet in depth. That would increase our competitiveness. And then also, but also focusing on the, the Pacific Northwest, the Columbia River always needs maintenance uh, dredging and also other kind of infrastructure improvements. That's our number two export region, so we also need to be focused on that as well. We need to have that diverse supply chain so that we can access our international customers. We're talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, there are so many areas that need improvement. You've mentioned several, and then we could get into the rural broadband uh, issue as well. All that part of uh, rural infrastructure uh, that needs to be updated and improved. Is it a case sometimes there's so much to do, it seems like we see this a lot with uh, Congress, if you can't fix everything, they wind up not doing anything. Uh, is that a concern here, that there's just so much on the plate, so much that needs to be done, that it leads to more inaction? That's always a danger. You know, the, 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 the temptation is to, when you get, uh, you know, when you get confronted with these significant challenges, it can kind of be like standing at the foot of Mount Everest, and you look up at that 29,000-foot mountain, and you say, how can I ever ascend to that peak, so therefore I will never try. Well, the answer to that question of how you actually do it is you, you take a step, and then you take another step, and then you take another step. And that's one of the things that we really try to convey to our, our elected leaders is, hey, we're, we're not asking you to provide the perfect infrastructure, but we're, we are asking you to work hard to actually make tomorrow a little bit better than today and doing some of these specific things. And so that's why we think it's important to actually lay out some specific suggestions and not just talk about in generalities, because generalities won't get you anywhere. It won't get soybeans from the farm to the actual delivery location or move soybeans via the inland waterway system. So that's why we talk about some specific things like dredging the lower Mississippi River, expanding semi-weight limits, focusing on rural bridges, all of these different things. It's very, you're not getting a lot of this specificity and this idea, this creativity coming from Washington, D.C., so I think it's incumbent upon the constituent groups like farmers to supply that creativity for them and really try to promote that and insist upon action, and uh, so that's something that we continue to do. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, they seem to need some, some leadership uh, from the grassroots uh, to get some of this done. They don't seem to be able to uh, carry carry this out because, you know, a lot of, a lot of issues we see there, there are political issues. Uh, both sides have strong viewpoints and neither side wants to budge, and it leads to things not getting done. But in an, on an issue like this where there is bipartisan support, and seemingly would be a win-win for everyone involved if you get these projects going. Uh, not only does it, you know, help with the need that's out there in the countryside, but I would think politically it's a it's a good move for them as well. And then to see it still not really take off makes it even more frustrating. And it should be frustrating for all of us. Um, you know, I I used to live in Washington D.C. I worked on Capitol Hill and. You know, when I think about Washington, D.C., I know of no other place where so much gets done, but so little accomplished. I mean, it's a busy place. There's a lot of activity, but as far as what actually gets achieved, that's more of a scarce list. And so I think, I think it's really important for constituent groups like farmers to remind our elected officials that we're the voters. 
we're ultimately the bosses here. So it's, it's really up to us to make sure that we're insisting action on some of these issues. Because if, if you simply leave it to them um, without applying some of that pressure in a very diplomatic, uh, in a very persuasive way, uh, in a very respectful way, but be very insistent, um, I, I'm not sure it's going to actually get done. And so I think it's just really important on transportation, and frankly, a host of issues that are confronting our industry, having that farmer engagement is really critical. Because if, if farmers aren't willing to weigh in on these issues that are important to their industry, uh, we can't expect others to do it. So that's one of the things that we really try to, really try to uh, convey. We think... Uh, the issue of infrastructure, it's been, in the, it's been in the on-deck circle for a considerable period of time. We think it's time to move into the batter's box, and we hope 2019 is the year that it happens. Is there anything currently being worked on in Congress, any bills being put together that would start the process, get things moving? Very much kind of at the uh, nothing really comprehensive or seismic. You know, we have had uh, some increased funding for locks and dams last year. That was a, that was a success. Uh, there is a current pr- program that the U.S. Department of Transportation is administering that's, that, that serves to replace a number of rural bridges in the country. So there, there are some examples of, of improvements being made. We just think there needs to be significantly more effort devoted to it. And, you know, during this time where there's a lot of turmoil and anxiety confronting farmers right now, uh, and if the federal government wants to do something to help farmers, we think infrastructure investment is a, is a tool in the federal government's toolbox that, that could be effectively used to promote that industry. And so we're very hopeful that that will occur. Well, it seems to me, it's still it, even with all the talk about it, even with all the lip service paid to it, it's not been a priority in Washington, D.C. When it becomes a priority item, then we'll see some movement. And, you know, sometimes it requires that constituent pressure, again, in a respectful way to say, hey, I, I know elected official, whether Republican or Democrat, you, you've talked about this being important, but just because something is important doesn't mean it's a priority. The, a priority is what you act upon. And something that's important, that's just on your list. That's, a, that's, a, that's like a New Year's resolution. And so that's what we really need to do is, is make sure that we want to measure you by not what your intentions are, but what your outcomes are. And I think constituent groups can play an effective role in that. It is a representative democracy, and we have that right to to make that voice heard. Good point. Mike, thank you very much, and uh, we'll keep track of this. Thank you. Thank you. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. We talk a lot about trade, and certainly trade is critical uh, to uh, U.S. agriculture, but even when you get uh, trade deals done, you have to be able to move the product efficiently, and uh, we've always had that advantage with our infrastructure, but that infrastructure is crumbling, aging, and we're not keeping up with the repairs and modernization that we need to to be able to continue to have that advantage uh, with over our competitors around the world and move these products. All right, the border issue. That's coming up next. We'll talk with the president of the Arizona Farm Bureau. Stay with us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. 
Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Hi, this is Mike Adams reminding you the Renewable Fuels Association's 24th Annual National Ethanol Conference is February 11th through the 13th in Orlando, Florida. Among those speaking will be former Senator Tom Daschle, American Chopper star Paul Jr., General Motors official Dan Nicholson, and the co-host of the Showtime political documentary series, The Circus. For more information or to register, go to www.nationalethanolconference.com. I'll be broadcasting from the conference and hope to see you there. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Minus signs in front of the changes for the grain and oil seed sector early on this Thursday morning. According to USDA's weekly export sales numbers, wheat net sales for the week of December 21st through the 27th totaled 593,000 metric tons, up 15% from the previous week, and that did exceed expectations. After five weeks of the government shutdown, USDA's lights are back on. They're going to come out with the final corn and soybean crop estimates for 2018 on Friday at 11 central time. The last time USDA released a world agricultural supply and demand estimate, Many folks were still Christmas shopping. March soybeans eked out a marginal gain after narrow trade on Wednesday. On this Thursday, trending four to five and a fraction lower. March at 916, down five and three quarters an hour into the day. March corn down two at 378. For the wheats, Chicago March down eight and three quarters at 517 and a quarter. Minneapolis March down a nickel at 568 and a quarter. Kansas City March down eight and three quarters at five dollars and a half cent. Livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures, not too far from steady money. In fact, February live cattle down two cents per hundred weight, near unchanged at 126.37. Feeder cattle March down 20 cents at 142.97. April down 27 at 144.57. Cash cattle bid seen at 121 on a live basis in Texas. No activity expected, perhaps until tomorrow. In lean hog futures, February down 27 at 55.65. The Dow down 150 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Well, the issue continues to be uh, a hot one throughout the country and, uh, again, uh, threatens another government shutdown coming up if they cannot work out some way of, of funding the government and coming to some kind of a resolution on this uh, border security issue. Uh, we're going to talk about it now with someone who deals with this issue on a daily basis. The president of the Arizona Farm Bureau, Stephanie Smallhouse, a uh, rancher in Arizona, joins us now. Stephanie, thanks for being with us. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me this morning. All right. Uh, for many of us, this is an issue we may be watching from afar. For you, it's in your backyard. Give us your thoughts on uh, the border issue. What is the security issue uh, in your state of Arizona, and in particular for you and your operation? Well, right now the the issue, the issue really is, like we all know because of the shutdown and what's going on um, with the president and Congress, is that we don't have the security that we need on the border, whether that's technology, whether that's infrastructure. There are several places along the border um, going through ranch lands, some going through federal um, parks and other areas that where, where there's no infrastructure that you could just walk right across. There's nothing there. And there are also miles and miles of just old um, barbed wire fence. And um, so obviously that presents a, a problem for those folks that are ranching right on the border. Uh, myself, we're about 100 miles north of the border, and we used to see quite a bit of traffic on our place. Uh, we had some areas that were that were known as drop-offs and pickups, um, and so it, it's really the issue is very pervasive, and it comes up quite far. But those ranchers that are living right on the border, um, it, you know, it's a mess. It, it's really just a nightmare um, on a daily basis for them for, for several reasons. All right, so there's the debate of is should it be a wall, should it be some type of barrier, uh, what form should it take? Do you have any thoughts on that? What would be most effective? Well, I think anybody that you talk to down there is going to basically tell you that it, it's going to take every means of, of security. I mean, in, in the 21st century, there are lots of... Um, there are lots of ways that we can provide better security that, that don't involve infrastructure, but we're also very supportive of a physical um, barrier as well and don't see any, any issues with that. In fact, um, you know, if, if you talk to, to uh, ranchers that are, that are sharing the border basically with, with Mexico, they've got all sorts of great ideas of how to, how to control that flow back and forth in lots of different ways, whether that's through drones, you know, just having the border patrol actually patrol right on the border. In a lot of areas, they're not even on the border. You know, they're closer up by me, which seems totally, you know, ridiculous, but, but that's the case in a lot of areas. And so a lot of our ranchers just, just want more human presence from the border patrol right on the border. They want border patrol to be able to have road access. There are, there are several places on the, on the border where environmental regulations um, prohibit um, all types of security uh, measures to happen, and that's just absurd at this point. We we need to we need to be able to look past those issues because the environmental consequences of the flow coming north are much greater than any consequences of any technology or border patrol presence on the border. Um, the benefits that would have. The issue has become so politicized. I think we've we failed to listen to the people that ha should have the most input on this as far as finding the right solution. And I, I think every time we say border wall, there's some kind of a, um, an image pops up in our mind of someone trying to build, you know, a, a huge concrete wall all across the border, which doesn't seem to be realistic. But as you said, there are 
new ways of doing it, different types of technology that could be applied, and seemingly uh, something in one place would work, be more effective than it would be in another place. So you have to have a, a variety of, uh, of things there to, to help with this issue. Um, how dangerous do you see is it right now on the border? I mean, we, we hear stories on both sides, uh, you know, depending on one's point of view on this. What is the situation from a real security and safety standpoint along that border there in Arizona? Well, it's a humanitarian issue for both sides. I mean, they, the um, close friends that I have that are, are right there on the border and that are ranching, I mean, they it's dangerous for their – they can't even let their kids, literally, you know, any, any of your listeners who have been on a ranch or live on a ranch, I mean, they won't even let their kids really play outside by themselves. I mean, that is so sad for, for the kind of lifestyle that we're all used to. And, um, and, and they can't even really let their kids play outside the way, the way most uh, ranch kids and farm kids would be able to play um, because there's constant traffic of just random people walking up. And here's the thing. You don't know whether that person is in need of emergency medical assistance because they're on their own and it's 110 degrees outside in the middle of the summer and they don't have any water, or if that person is a threat to your family and is looking for, um, you know, cover because he's, he's moving drugs or people up. You have, you have no idea of knowing this, so they have to be on the defense all the time. You know, most of those families, um, the, the entire family can't go anywhere together. They can't attend, you know, any functions um, off of the ranch together because someone always has to be staying on the ranch. And the other issue is is, is uh, animal welfare issue and the fact that, you know, during the summers in Arizona, um, you know, we have to have water to our livestock every day. We have to have reliable water. And what happens is, is folks coming up in the summertime, you know, they get so desperate for, for water that they, they break into these pipelines, they, they um, mess up pumps, tank systems on a daily basis. And so most of these ranchers have to have somebody riding um, every day amidst this danger just to make sure that their waters are still running because our cattle can't go a day without without water. So it's a humanitarian issue on both sides for those people coming up that don't recognize the dangers for our families living there and for our livestock. We're talking with Stephanie Smallhouse, president of the Arizona Farm Bureau. So Stephanie, as this debate rages on across the country, what needs what do you think needs to be done first? What would be a good first step in in this uh, dealing with this situation? Well, to be honest with you, I mean, I think the first step has already been done. I, I think that the president has taken the time to talk with talk with the experts in, in terms of Homeland Security and Border Patrol. Um, we know where a physical infrastructure can be placed. We know where we need technology, um, you know, of different sorts. I know the administration has spent a lot of time interacting with our producers down there, talking to them about flow you know, what the, what they're seeing, what their ideas are. So I think that's the first step, and I think it was done quite a long time ago. Like you said, we've gotten hung up on this metaphor of, of a wall, you know, this, um, you know, what what was intended to be a campaign, <laughs> a campaign slogan. People are now stuck on that, and they can't, they can't get past that. So, so the next step, of course, is trying to get the funding to do what, all of these things that we know that we need to do, and it's very frustrating. And it's not, and it gets portrayed as wanting to keep everybody out. And you know, uh, I, that's that's not what I hear from you. I think what I'm hearing is uh, you want uh, a monitored uh, flow back and forth, and a, from a safety issue, and uh, having it done in the uh, humane and, and proper way. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
what we need is control and we need structure. And it sure doesn't seem like rocket science, but and, and it's not. I, I feel like, you know, these issues that we're facing with the with the government shutdown, you know, people are digging their heels in. I, I certainly can't believe that, that those are the funding truly believe that these people are safely crossing and that we have a functional system in place because they're not. People are dying every day. I mean, our ranchers find um, bodies out there. Um, they find all sorts of horrific things. And so I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, surely, surely folks who are against funding this process don't truly believe that we have something good in place. Um, so it's literally just must be a political football, and it's just so shameful to see that situation. Yeah, how frustrating is it for you there that are, you know, along that border or dealing with this issue on a daily basis to hear the, the political rhetoric and debate back and forth, whether it's in Washington, D.C. or wherever it may be, far removed from the, where it's, the situation is actually occurring? Well, it's extremely frustrating because as with, you know, that are being tossed back and forth in Washington, D.C., you know, a lot of those folks can't relate to how that's actually impacting um, people on the ground. And, and I know that, uh, that, you know, friends and family and ranchers that are dealing with this, you know, it's, you know, it just makes you sick at night. It, it keeps you up at night. It, it makes you wonder what life would be like if you weren't dealing with a nightmare that really just the stroke of a pen could fix. I mean, that's literally what it is. It's that, you know, my, my kids could play outside and, and I could actually leave my ranch and I wouldn't have to worry about my livestock having water uh, with the stroke of a pen. And um, so, I mean, anyone would be extremely frustrated with that and the inability of folks to see, um, to get past political ambitions and solve, actually solve a problem. <laughs> yeah. I think that side of the story, the one that you have just described to us uh, for people uh, living and working along that border, I think that story has not been adequately told. No, I don't think so. And I think that, you know, we're, we're even seeing now where, you know, some in the media are saying, oh, well, this is overblown. Well, you know, I challenge them to, <laughs> to pop a tent in the, in the backyard of, of one of our ranchers, even in the, what they feel like would be the safety of their yard, and spend a couple of nights there and, and see how they feel about, about the situation and, and, um, and the, you know, the emergency. When the president said he wants to declare a, a state of emergency, you know, people think that's an exaggeration, but I can promise you the people who have been living with this for the last 10 or 15 years with this drug traffic, it is a state of emergency to them. There are solutions, as you said, available. Uh, maybe not perfect solution, but things that can be done that would certainly improve dramatically the situation if they will just do it, right? Exactly. And like I said, the first step, you know, the plans are in place. They know where they can use certain things. The president certainly knows, and he has said, that you cannot put a physical barrier in ev everywhere. But, you know, we have situations here where we have environmental organizations um, fighting just Border Patrol being able to drive up and down the border in some places. I mean, that's absurd. Um, these, are, these are things that would help, um, be very helpful, and, um, and, you know, we're hitting opposition from all directions, and all that opposition comes from people who aren't living with the situation directly. Well, Stephanie, thank you for the perspective, and I think uh, really educating a lot of us on the situation there. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. All right, we'll stay in touch. Stephanie Smallhouse, president of the Arizona Farm Bureau. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about how these trade tariffs impact another segment of U.S. agriculture, the apple industry. That's coming up next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. 
We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, Immigration Reform, Reducing Regulations, Trade, New Technology, as well as Infrastructure and Health Care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Are you thinking about buying medicine online? A search for online pharmacies yields more than 20 million results. But which ones can you trust? Medicines bought from unlicensed online pharmacies can be dangerous. You may get a fake drug, your condition may get worse, or you may experience a bad reaction. Don't put your health at risk. To learn how to find an online pharmacy that's safe and legal, visit FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. 
Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, I want to thank Stephanie Smallhouse, president of the Arizona Farm Bureau, for joining us last segment. I thought it was interesting, uh, her perspective and what folks along the border there in her state of Arizona are dealing with and their, their thoughts on this border security issue and things that can be done, need to be done. Uh, get past the political rhetoric that's going on throughout the country and deal with some of the realities and and hopefully uh, the decision makers will listen to the people that uh, have the best uh, uh, perspective on this that are dealing with it and uh, can give some valuable input to uh, possible solutions. So I uh, just found it interesting to, to hear what people living and working along the border, uh, how this issue is certainly impacting uh, their lives. All right, let's move now back to trade and the ongoing situation uh, with the steel and aluminum tariffs on Mexico and Canada. We've talked a lot about how that impacts the U.S. pork industry. Well, it's also impacting uh, uh, the apple industry. And joining us now is the president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association, Jim Baer. Jim, good to talk with you again. Thanks for being with us. Good to be with you, Mike. Uh, obviously, um, you can... You've got the numbers to show how the steel and aluminum tariffs are negatively impacting uh, apple exports, uh, say, into Mexico. Give us, uh, give us uh, the numbers on this. Well, just like uh, your listeners in other parts of U.S. agriculture where Mexico is their number one market, it's also the number one market for U.S. apple exports. Uh, we export about a billion dollars a year total uh, of U.S. apples and about a third of that goes to Mexico, and that's been true for many years. So we're anxious to see this, uh, these trade disputes and uh, get settled and take the steel and aluminum tariffs off so we need to get back to doing what agriculture does best, and that's supplying high-quality products around the world. And as we're leaving these markets because of the trade disputes, other countries are more than happy to swoop in and, and fill that vacuum. And I know your radio listeners in farm country uh, have seen that movie before where we, through government policies and uh, political decisions, we exit a market and some other country swoops in and takes a market that in many cases we've spent decades building and spent millions of dollars building those markets and then to to sort of unilaterally uh, disarm is, is really disappointing. So we're anxious to see that the U.S. free trade agreement with Mexico and Canada get uh, ratified by Congress, but it cannot be successful. Even if it is ratified, it cannot be successful so long as the steel and aluminum tariffs 
are in place because uh, we are, as agriculture always is, being retaliated against. A lot of us are probably not very familiar with the apple industry, and uh, I want to just kind of go over some of these numbers again. More than 30% of fresh apples destined for overseas markets, and uh, when you look at what's happening with Mexico, uh, your number one market down 23% and down 70% and 40% respectively to markets like India and China. So just the overall trade issue with tariffs certainly impacting uh, apple growers in this country. Well, your, uh, your listeners in poor country, they've lost billions of dollars uh, in markets as a result, and, and our uh, impact might not be as in is impressive compared with that, but it sure is important to our uh, growers in the areas where they're uh, exporting apples. India, as you mentioned, was a bright spot. That market had been just exploding last year at this time. It had zoomed up, had replaced Canada as our number two export market, and uh, as fast as it zoomed up, it's now zoomed down. It kind of fell off the cliff, and and that's really unfortunate. And then uh, China that you mentioned, that was a real bright spot because we just got that market opened in May of 2015. And in the three years between then and May of 2018, China had become our already our sixth largest export market. They were buying uh, two and a half million boxes of premium quality apples at, at the premium prices. So that was a real bright spot on the horizon. And we really were looking forward to growing that market further. And unfortunately, the tariffs there now are and we need that to get uh, settled so we can get back to doing what we what we do and shipping great products around the world. So a lot of issues here, whether it's with China or, or with Mexico and Canada. Uh, I know that you're strongly supporting passage of the USMCA. Looks like it may have a tough political battle ahead of it, but uh, obviously it's critically important, especially... Uh, if part of this is going to be, as the president has indicated, if it doesn't look like Congress will pass the new deal, he's threatening to pull out of the old deal, which he doesn't like, uh, that's a big risk to U.S. agriculture. Oh, my, Mike. That's, uh, that's the doomsday scenario right there. You know, with all due respect to the president, when he says NAFTA was the worst trade deal in history, for agriculture in general and for apples in particular, it was the best trade deal in history. We quadrupled our exports to Mexico. We doubled our exports to Canada. So if we were to pull out of the NAFTA and USMCA does not get ratified, what would happen is uh, tariffs would revert to the pre-NAFTA schedule. So the the 20% tariffs that we have in Mexico right now is a retaliation on steel and aluminum would stay in effect. We'd go back to pre-NAFTA tariffs. That's another 20%. So we would have 40% tariffs going into our number one market. And obviously that's going to absolutely decimate us. And and so it's a, it's a perverse irony, to say the least, that we could go from a complete free trade market in North America to one where we're basically going to be locked out of our number one market because of an um, inability to to uh, make the tough decisions so we can stay in that market. So that would, that would definitely be uh, a, a big hit for agriculture, and we're working very hard. I'm speaking to you from the U.S. Capitol right now, and I and many of my peers from the other segments of agriculture, livestock, row crops, we're all up here uh, 
working furiously to try to make sure that doesn't happen. And uh, stand by. Stay tuned for more, Mike, because your, your listeners are going to be impacted uh, by this one way or another for sure. All right, Jim. Thanks for taking time to be with us to talk about this very critical issue. We appreciate it. Thank you. You bet, Mike. Thanks. Jim Baer, president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. Um, A lot of ag groups in Washington, D.C. this week talking about these trade issues. And tomorrow we'll get more into that. Uh, We'll learn about some of the work being done by Farmers for Free Trade and Tariffs Hurt the Heartland Coalition. Uh, They've been very active in, in our nation's capital this week as well. We'll get updates coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance.